Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Lost in Science. And it's not just any old Lost in Science. We are Lost in Science Week, shall we say. Not Lost in Science strong? Uh, it's, it's pretty strong, but it is, it is National Science Week. This is the National Science Week episode of Lost in Science, where it is about to start and we look at some of the things on for the... Well, it's more than seven days. Um, it's not quite a metric week. I figured that out. But it is like a science week of science events. It's sort of like 11 days or something, isn't it? I think it's the 10th to the 18th of August. So that's yeah. something like, what, uh, nine days. So. And, then, and there's things sort of spilling over either end as well. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's too much to be contained within a simple week. <laughs> yeah. So my name is Chris, and this week I am talking to Diane Bray from Museums Victoria about some of the events that they have on there, and particularly her being a marine expert, some of the amazing fish stuff that she's going to be talking about at events at the museum for Science Week and some amazing fish news from the bottom of the ocean. That's where all the best fish news comes from. Pretty much. It's where a lot of the, a lot of the good stuff is, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to, hard to get some of that news, though. Stu, what have you got for us? Well, I'm going to try and squeeze in all of the other stuff that's going on during Science Week. And there's events on all over the country. There's something like 2,000 Science Week events on. At least half of them you can just roll up. They're free events. But, yeah, everywhere, all over the country, the capital cities have got stuff going on. Regional centres have got things going on. It's a whole lot of science events happening all over the country, all through Science Week. And I'm going to talk about some of those things. Great. And Claire is speaking to Tilly Bolin, curator of the Science Gallery Melbourne, about their big program called Disposable, which itself is spilling out beyond the boundaries of Science Week and talking about how to make treasure from trash and reimagine our waste. So it is a not a very wasteful show. It is valuable material coming at you. And speaking of valuable material, if you're in Melbourne during Science Week, you should get yourselves along to the Lost in Science Trivia Night. It's our annual event. It's the highlight of Science Week, where we have all science, all trivia, on Tuesday night, the 13th of August. Where is it, Stu? At the Bush Hotel in Langridge Street in Abbotsford. Yes, so it is $20 because it's a fundraiser for 3CR, the radio station you are listening to. So come along, support community radio and support science by answering questions like you're at school. <laughs> On with the show. National Science Week is upon us with hundreds of events around the country. In Melbourne, Museums Victoria is putting on a number of events at their various locations, including a public launch on the night of Friday the 9th of August of Science at the Extreme. To find out just how extreme we're talking about, I am speaking to Dr Diane Bray from the Marine Collections at Melbourne Museum. Diane, welcome back to Lost in Science. Thank you. Now, first of all, can you tell us a bit about this event that's on Friday night? A bunch of us are talking about the kinds of research we've done, all the things we've done, and then there's a, a bit of a science panel just talking about and presumably taking questions from the audience here at the museum. 
where we have these amazing biological libraries that span centuries of life on Earth. Fantastic. Now, your expertise, of course, is fish yes. or fishes. Yes. And I imagine there is some quite extreme creatures there at the bottom of the sea. Can you tell us a bit about some of those or the things that you'll be talking about on Friday night? Absolutely. Fishes are amazing. They, um, some of those deep-sea critters, I think that I was lucky enough to be on a trip in 2009 with a fellow called Alan Jamison who's putting benthic baited camera traps down into the trenches around the world, including the Mariana Trench, and he's collected fishes. I think the deepest fish occurs below 8,000 metres. There's some kind of limit to how deep fish can go. I think the pressures, they think, does things to proteins in fishes, but down to 8,000 metres. A couple of years ago, we had a big voyage off eastern Australia from Tasmania to the southern part of the Coral Sea where we were fishing mostly between depths of 2,500 metres and I think the deepest we went was 4,800 metres. The first survey of its kind in Australian waters to sample essentially the life that occurs in that deep sea region off eastern Australia. In fact, the first survey around the country there have been other little bits but there'd only been two collections down to the abyssal depths off eastern australia prior to that and one of those was the challenger expedition in 1887 okay um, so the kinds of fishes that you get from those depths tend to be the same around the world you get the same kind of groups in fact sometimes you get the same species around the world one of the <laughs> one of the most amazing fishes that we pulled up off Jarvis Bay into the, the marine reserve off Jarvis Bay was a fish that came up quite big, almost a 30 centimetres in length, large animal, no visible eyes, huge nostrils, kind of, I don't know, rounded head with a tail, the fins going off into a tail. We thought we'd hit the jackpot. This uh, the faceless fish the that faceless was in the fish. news, yeah. Absolutely. And we thought, oh, holy moly, we fought the jackpot in this one. Well, not so. It wasn't on our radar. The first specimens were collected, one in Indonesia and one in the Coral Sea outside Australia's EEZ on the Challenger expedition. Okay. Um, in 3,800 metres, perhaps, of water way back then. Right. So no eyes, no visible eyes. Apparently little ones you can see, the remnants of eyes. And because the deep sea is such an extreme environment with really cold temperatures, we were working down where temperatures were about a degree centigrade, huge pressures as you can see by this little cup I have given you here. Okay, yes. So which this we is, sent down to the abyss. Okay, can you describe this for me? It appears to be a foam coffee cup, but it is about probably about a quarter of the size of a regular foam coffee cup. Why is that so small? So one of the things that we like to do when we go on these um, ships to really deep waters to send things way down to the deep send coffee cups styrofoam coffee cups so it's probably more than a quarter of the size just to see what the pressure does to it sometimes we get kids to illustrate pictures on it i got a okay. bunch of museum staff to draw on theirs and i sent them down so the drawing was done before the it drawing went down. was Excellent. done before it went down yeah so we put them inside a stocking stuff a bit of paper inside otherwise you get just a crumpled thing because the pressure occurs everywhere so Sometimes we come up with something looking like a gumboot if we haven't quite done it right. But um, and the pressure, so it's in, so it's everywhere around that cup, squashing the air bubbles essentially. Yeah. Um, well, what we'll do is I'll, I'll put a picture of this cup mm-hmm. up on our social media on our Facebook and our Twitter page so that people can see this amazingly shrunken coffee cup that's come from the bottom of the sea. So, but you guys put that down there; it wasn't found there. No, no, we sent a bunch of everybody on the ship 
sort of sense these little things down as souvenirs or yeah do you find much um pollution or other we did find a whole bunch of rubbish down there which is really quite interesting from clinker which is interesting we were working in old shipping lanes so clinker which is the build-up inside the coal steam engines that they obviously don't have this useless weight so they chip it off and throw that overboard to paint cans and tins and bottles and uh, bits of plastic yeah yeah, quite disturbing. So what makes that environment at the bottom of the sea so different to what people might be familiar with? One of the things we actually do when we're there is do deep seafloor mapping and send down cameras, and you can see that most of it is flat, muddy environments with some off rocks and some sort of structure. Sometimes, actually, we were surprised. There were canyons and things like that, and, whoa, quick, bring the camera up before it goes smash. But it's an environment with that's really harsh. So low temperatures, high pressures little food the life is supported by what comes down from above whether it be a whalefall or just stuff that you know filtering down dead animals um, the remains of dead animals or plants filtering from above so the animals live there there's lots of animals that are just relying on scavenging around the bottom and then there's a whole communities built up on that most of the fishes down there are poor swimmers Sharks and rays don't get that deep they cut out around 2,000 something meters so they're poor swimmers many have reduced eyes or no eyes and they rely on um, other sensory systems like lateral line systems to be able to find their food. Some of the animals are bioluminescent, not the fishes, but we had a researcher working on bioluminescence and lots of the brittle stars and holothurians or sea pigs and things were bioluminescent. So there is bioluminescence down there. So it's just really, really harsh environment. So animals have to have particular strategies to live there. Okay. Now you talked about the um, this strange fish you found and trying to work out whether it had been discovered before. Now I believe that part of your work is a website that basically catalogues all the fishes around Australia. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it's called Fishes of Australia and it has a species page for every known fish species that occurs in Australia's EEZ. We're up to about 5,400 species so far and we're still finding out new species. Certainly on the trip that we did about 10 of those species are new to new Australian records, maybe five are new species down there. So, yeah, I'm trying to give the public and anybody who needs it to um, be able to see what species occur in Australian waters. I think I've got pictures of about 4,800 species so far. Okay. And there's also the um, the Red Map Project, I believe, as well, yes. which is... Is that tracking changes of so fish that's distributions? tracking changes of the distribution of marine animals in the environment so animals that turn up in your neighborhood that you haven't seen before one observation range shift doesn't make so it's tracking range shift so it's actually looking to see where animals are turning up and overwintering so whether they overwinter and they actually stay around to breed and one of the I guess amazing examples in terms of fishes is that snapper didn't used to occur in the Derwent River in Hobart now they catch big snapper down there and in fact there are bag limits on snapper in northern Tasmania now so I guess that's a plus for fishermen. Climate change is obviously a serious minus for some animals. Um, where does the spotted handfish go? It's already critically endangered in the Derwent estuary in Tasmania where it's last kind of stronghold. The spotted handfish, that's uh, the one that walks along yeah. the bottom of the... Yeah, the little anglerfish yes. relative. Yeah, so where do animals like that go? You know, it's not only just ocean warming, it's also the acidification of our oceans, so that plays havoc with larval fishes. Animals have thermal tolerances so you know you warm the waters up and you increasingly acidify it and it really changes the behaviour of particularly larval fish so 
And also you acidify the water and do those animals that need to make skeletons, can they make their skeletons in a more acid environment? So there's lots of unknowns and lots of concerns about climate change. Right. Well, it's good that you're keeping track of all these things. Yeah, well, it sounds like you have some, um, some great stuff that you'll be talking about there on Friday night. Can you um, give us a bit of an idea of what other events will be on with uh, Museums Victoria during Science Week? All sorts of things. Um, the launch is on Friday, the 9th of August, and then on Sunday we have Science Extravaganza with um, collections on show, talks about mega beasts. We have science seminars on the following week with um, experts talking about discoveries, recent discoveries during that week, genetics and all sorts of things that are shaping our knowledge of um, how science is going at the moment. Things for children. In the Pauline Gandles Gallery, we've got um, things for small children. It's Hello Possum Storytime about scientists from the moon to tiny microbes. On the Wednesday, Birdman in the museum. So this is about our first director, Frederick McCoy, who was quite a director who really developed the collections. He was an amazing collection builder who developed collections through purchase of an exchange from around the world. And also about John Gould, the publisher John Gould. Um, so we'll be opening our library a bit in ornithology collections for you to see some of those rare items in the library in the archives and birds. Morning Science Seminar on Friday is about the deep sea, about recent discoveries in the deep sea. Uh, Saturday, August 17, Spit for Science, Gut Microbes. So, um, that sounds, that's so you can find yeah. out what, how, how, how your gut microbes compare, the diversity of your gut microbes compared to other. That is a very Those popular others, topic at the moment. Absolutely yeah. a very popular topic. Yeah, yeah. It seems your gut microbe, your gut flora is, um, has a lot to do with your well-being. Excellent. Well, look, thank you very much for that information, Diane. Now, um, your event, as you said, is on the, the night of Friday, 9th of August 2019 from 7 to 9 p.m. at Melbourne Museum. You can buy tickets and find out about this and the other events at museumsvictoria.com.au. Thanks again, Diane, for speaking to us. Thank you. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. So yes, it is Science Week once again all over Australia. People are thinking about science, hopefully... Finally! Hopefully more than usual or something. Look, if they only do it once a year, it's a start. Yeah, we could think about science all year round. But look, anyway... Science Week, there are events going on all over the place, all over the country. If you want to find events near you, I suggest you look at the Science Week website, which is www.scienceweek.net.au. Brilliant. Well, uh, thank you, Stu. That's for a good story. Yeah. yeah. So we'll put that up on our Facebook as well, oh, just yeah. in case yep, anyone wants idea. to see it. But look, yeah, so all over the country. So we've been talking about Melbourne events, but there's obviously other places than Melbourne in Australia. So in Sydney, they are having the Sydney Science Festival. Oh, it's good to- good timing. Good timing from the 6th to the 18th of August. So that's probably running for a bit longer than Science Week, technically. What kind of stuff is that? So look, there's events involved in the Sydney Science Festival, dozens of venues in Sydney, including the Powerhouse Museum, the Australian Museum, the Australian National Maritime Museum, Centennial Parklands, Royal Botanic Gardens, Taronga Zoo, universities, local libraries, just everywhere. That is pretty ubiquitous. So they've pretty much got that stitched up. There's a couple of other interesting ones in Sydney specifically to check out too. There's the Indigi Hack, which is happening in Redfern on the 8th and 9th of August, which is where they're trying to use 
apps on kids' phones to preserve Indigenous languages. That's pretty cool. So that sounds like a really cool idea. Um, and also, outside of Sydney, there's the Riverina Science Festival in Wagga. So if you're around the Wagga area, head down and check out the Riverina Science Festival. That's from the 11th to the 17th of August. So yeah, there are things happening all over the place, out in the country, in the city, everywhere. Stuff in Melbourne, there's so much stuff in Melbourne, you can probably figure it out. There's stuff at the museum, there's stuff at Melbourne University, and we've talked about some of those things specifically. South Australia has a huge event called Big Science Adelaide running over the length of Science Week. They've got all sorts of events. They're talking about how house cats evolve from wild cats. You can learn about botany over a beer at the pub. The language of plants at the Botanic Garden, ethics of artificial intelligence, so with oh, really? more artificial intelligence stuff taking over. Will artificial intelligences be attending that event, or will we be talking about them? No, probably just talking about them, and we'll rely on our natural intelligence. To... But Siri will be listening. Siri and Alexa <laughs> will be listening. We'll always be listening. And of course, being South Australia, there's also the science of wine. Of course there is. From production to tasting, and how you palate affects your perception of the wine a science but also an art some would say indeed tasmania there's a science pop-up bar at the tasmanian museum and art gallery called beaker street at tmag which is the name of the oh like as in like baker street oh i was thinking like bleaker street oh possibly dr strange yeah not 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 so sciencey but yeah so beaker street at tmag is open from the 16th to 17th of august i've got jerry rafferty's song in my head now (laughs) so there's a series of talks from australian academy of science fellows also at the hobart town hall which beaker street's presenting someone is presenting a talk uh, on the extinction of the y chromosome and the future of men there's also Professor Martina Stenzel, The Chemistry of Life. There's a whole lot of things. Professor Michael Archer's talking about de-extinction. Oh, classic. Yeah. So, so bringing uh, back the thylacine, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, all, all of that sort of thing. And there's also the at Beaker Street, the Science Photography Prize. Oh. So that will be awarded uh, during Science Week. There's also in Hobart the Festival of Bright Ideas at Princess Wharf, which is a two-day event. Friday the 9th of August is a school's day, so that'll all be school kids. Saturday the 10th is open to the public, but there's a whole lot of science activities and talks and discussions going on there at Princess Wharf, which is right down on the waterfront there. Great. Northern Territory, all the way out in Alice Springs, is Green Science and the War on Waste in the Red Centre at Mm. the Aridlands Echo Fair, which is running from the 8th to the 11th of August, That will be science communicators and desert scientists and indigenous educators and renewable energy professionals and health experts in a series of community events encouraging discussions about science and sustainability, which if anyone's going to be affected by climate change in the future, I imagine people in arid areas like that are going to have a major impact on those people. So probably time to start talking about it, I guess. And in Western Australia, we know we've got our fans in Western Australia – Shout out. Shout out to WA. The Perth Science Festival, they've really gone with the originality in the naming of their oh, those, Science those, Week festival. Those Perthlings, they know what they're doing. So that's at the Claremont Showgrounds, Saturday the 24th and Sunday the 25th of August. Okay, it's, so that's technically after Science Week. It is technically, but it is, you know, it's a Science Week event. Yeah. Um, maybe they did, there was so much other stuff going on that they had to push it to the following yeah. weekend. Uh, but that's 
all sorts of things, backyard biology, astronomy, carnivorous plants. Huh? Maybe some people we've spoken oh, to the from Albany WA. Pitcher the plant. Albany Pitcher Plant. And all sorts of expert talks there. And if you can't make it to that, there's a forensics and criminology event at Fremantle Prison on Thursday the 15th of August, which is in Science Week proper. Okay. Um, so that's in Fremantle. So it is, yeah, the science of catching criminals. I like guess. CSI. Is that still a thing? Uh, pro- well, I don't know. Maybe. Mm. Queensland. We can't forget Queensland. Oh. Queensland has the Brisbane Festival of Science. Of course. Of course. This, is getting, this is getting monotonous. It's <laughs> getting a yeah. bit monotonous. Friday the 16th to Sunday the 18th of August. They have exciting stuff. Smoke cannons, liquid nitrogen, flame tests, explosions, and cool chemistry experiments oh, on the streets of Brisbane. Yeah, yeah. vaporous. Yeah, well, known for a lot of hot air sometimes in in. Queensland. So yeah, there's stuff going on in Queensland. The Brisbane Festival of Science is running all weekend from the 16th to the 18th of August. And in the ACT, there's a number of events on, but notably Professor Elizabeth Blackburn, who is a Nobel Prize winner, will be talking about ageing and how our DNA ages over time and how it affects us as we grow older and how we can sort of try and avoid the effects of that so things like the shortening of the telomeres and this kind of stuff well she's the expert on telomeres yeah, so yeah. she can tell us everything exactly. about exactly look it's not science week without a talk by a nobel laureate i feel no well absolutely not i mean there's all sorts of famous international guests and everything but as i said if you want to find something that's going on near you in science week for science week check out scienceweek.net.au that's the place to look. And there are, as I said, about 2,000 events going on that are all registered on that website. So if you can't find something near you, maybe think up something and you can, you can run it yourself next year. Would you wash your hands with soap made from sewage? Would you drink water filtered from urine? Would you put your faith in insects to solve the plastic pollution problem? These are some of the questions being asked at Science Gallery's new pop-up season on the theme of disposable, asking people to reimagine their waste. And this week we have our favourite curator, Tilly Boleyn from Science Gallery Melbourne at the University of Melbourne, with us here to talk through these curly, icky glorious questions. Tilly, welcome back to Lost in Science. Thank you so much, Claire. And my answers are yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> okay, let's start with that. Okay. I mean, tell us tell us about Disposable. Oh, Disposable is a month-long takeover of August where we are bringing together arts and science and engineering and technology and design and looking at the glorious things that happen at the collision points of these. When you bring people from different disciplines together to think about and create things together, truly magical things happen. And how did you settle on the theme of disposable? Oh, so we are for and with young people. So the way that we come up with the ideas at Science Gallery Melbourne is that we get a whole bunch of young people um, who are our keen supporters and they're called Psycurious. They come Love to, the name. Yep, they're awesome. They come into a room and they talk about the things that are important to them, the things that they think they're going to have to ta- tackle in the next 50 years 
and we pull together all those ideas and see what sort of trends are coming out. So obviously our consumer culture, our disposable culture is big on people's minds. Um, How do you then sort of frame it in a way that's going to not turn people off? Oh, of course. Well, the theme really developed from a creature that we think of as our mascot for this season. The bin chicken. So the majestic ibis, if you will, which is much... um, (laughs) Uh, The much maligned ibis. it is. I I love ibis, ibi. I also love ibi for not only their beauty, but their sheer ingenious innovation. So because of the cities that they're populating, especially in Sydney, is taken over by humans and we've got all this waste all over the place, the majestic ibi has figured out a way to change their food source. So now they go digging into bins, um, which, you know, is good and bad and... At Science Gallery Melbourne, we are always looking for creative solutions to these huge problems, and we think young people are going to be the key to that. So taking inspiration from the IBIS to turn our trash into treasure is what Disposable is all about. Yeah, it's about reimagining our waste. So really trying to look at the things that we don't talk about or we find quite icky or we don't think are on the table because of the yuck factor, because of we haven't really just changed the way that we look at them. I really want to get stuck into what your favourite installations, your favourite artworks are. Oh, Claire, how dare you? It's like (laughs) choosing between my 20 to 30 art science children, but okay, you've pushed me. Go on, go on. (laughs) Urinatron, which is happening at the University of Melbourne Parkville campus until the 18th of uh, August, is such a delight. It's this huge (laughs) battery powered by human urine. So if you come along, we've got collection jars, we'll give you one, we'll give you a biohazard bag, you go off to the bathroom, fill up, bring it back and contribute to this battery system. And when you do that, you can plug your phone in and then your phone gets charged by your powerful Wii. What is it about the urine that's creating electricity? Oh, it's gorgeous. They are all microbial fuel cells. So they are taking the microorganisms, the very small amount of microorganisms in our Wii are in these Uh, flasks. So we've got these 80 flasks rising up over two metres within these see-through shipping containers. It really is a sight to behold. Yeah, wow. And in each one of those, we've got water and we've got urine. Oh, the artist worked with the chemical engineer at the University of Melbourne to make it beautiful and functional as well. Oh, amazing. Transdisciplinary. Oh, so transdisciplinary. (laughs) So they 3D printed right there on campus these special caps for both of the flasks got graphite pencils to be some of the conductive material. It's just gorgeous. That's beautiful. But then what happens to the urine after? Oh, excellent segue, Claire. My apologies. Of course, at the end, when the urine stopped being a powerful battery, um, we'll be siphoning it off, filtering it through a bunch of different filtration devices, and it turns into pure water. So water that is cleaner than what we are bringing out of the, the tap to drink, uh, yet we're not allowed to do anything with it at that point. It was my hope that we'd all be drinking it. So you could power, My hope too. Yeah, you could power your phone and then you could have a sweet, refreshing uh, sip on your own wee. But turns out you're not allowed to do that uh, in Victoria. You can in other parts of this country and you can in other parts of the world. But at the moment, there are these barriers in place. We can't even use it 
to pour on plants, even that is illegal. Is that a result of government legislation being behind where science is? So I don't think it's an intentional thing to blockade science and innovation, but it's just another example of we have science and engineering and all sorts of design know-how to really innovate and push us forward in sustainability issues. And we're unable to do that because of a whole variety of things that are normally in place to keep us safe. But we're at this point where we really need to flip the table and make these processes a lot easier so that we open up all the amazing opportunities that are on offer um, for us to really get greener. And your second favourite installation? Oh, my goodness. There are so many to choose from. I I mean, I'm going to wedge in my favourite mealworms. Okay, fantastic. There's (laughs) 12,000 new colleagues at Science Gallery Melbourne uh, and they are mealworms and they are these incredible creatures that have – they are the last larval stage before the beetle. Um, The darkling beetle, I think it is. The darkling beetle. Yeah, the darkling beetle. It's such a delightful creature and it's got microorganisms in its gut in its gut that digests and depolymerizes polystyrene. So that's polystyrene being sort of the expanded version of plastic. Yep. These mealworms can actually break that down and what, turn it into? So turn it back towards organic matter. So it'll go back through them probably another couple of times and we're hoping... When they eat their poo. That's right. Yeah. When they, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no tea, no shade, mate. Uh when they eat their poo. Um, They're currently doing these small-scale trials in New York City, um, small lower council areas, where they are fishing polystyrene out of the river and they're putting it into huge vats with a lot more mealworms than we've got. And then they're trying to grow plants in that poo, which is a combination of meal flour and um, broken-down digested polystyrene and poo. So for listeners around Australia who might have a bit of uh, polystyrene in their backyard or, you know, got a new computer and found that there's a whole lot of waste and nowhere to recycle it, can you just chuck a couple of hundred mealworms in there and uh, be done with it? Oh, my God. Claire, I think you've just developed a new (laughs) commercial enterprise, possibly. Yeah, you can. You can buy these mealworms off um, fishing websites. Give it a go. Or let's wait and see maybe how... (laughs) how it goes with it turning into compost um, and whether plants can grow in it or not. But it's not as though we're trying to find solutions that mean we can keep on doing these terrible practices like polystyrene. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Sing it again. (laughs) But at Science Gallery, we are always looking for humorous, clever things that will you know, maybe spark a conversation, get you to think about something in a different way and maybe lead us... uh, towards the path of saviours. Just no small feat. (laughs) You're welcome. So this is happening all through August and especially during National Science Week as well, which is coming up. Science Christmas, you mean. National Science Week. What an absolute boon time for people who love a bit of science. Um, We'll also be joining Extrasensory at the Victorian Parliament and that's happening on Saturday, August 10th. Have you heard about this, Claire? I have heard about this. It's where we're taking over. All science lovers of Victoria are taking over. There are people 
on multiple floors in Parliament. There are multiple stages happening and it's all about your perception. So extrasensory, all of your senses will be tested and charmed throughout the evening. Where can people find out more information, Tilly? Look, I would jump online to our website where the full program is available or follow us on the socials. So we're Science Gallery Melbourne uh, and we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Tilly Boleyn, curator at Science Gallery Melbourne, thank you so much for joining us on Lost in Science today and taking us through the treasure trove that is our waste and the disposable pop-up season during August. Jump online and check it all out and um, see you there. I cannot wait. Thanks, Claire. And that is it for our special Science Week episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science, of course, is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. But if you would like to support us, remember you can come along to our Lost in Science trivia night. It is Tuesday the 13th of August at the Bush Hotel in Abbotsford in Melbourne. You can find out all about how to go there on our Facebook page, which is, of course, Lost in Science on 3CR. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can also email us at lostinsci at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on your podcatcher of choice, or you can listen to us on the radio. We're same time every week. Claire, Stu and Chris get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.